The History of the Old Brick Church podcast is brought to you by St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum, located in Smithfield, Virginia. As a museum and historic site, St. Luke's focuses on the development of religious freedom and the early American religious experience. And welcome back, everybody, to History from the Old Brick Church, a podcast of St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum in beautiful Smithfield, Virginia. I'm your host, John Erickson, the Education Coordinator here at St. Luke's, and we would love for you to review and subscribe to us on your favorite listening platform. We also want to remind you that we're open to the public for tours every Thursday through Saturday. The first tours are at 10 a.m., the last tours are at 4 p.m., and we are open for group tours, and you can inquire about those for groups of 10 or more by emailing me at jerickson, that's J-E-R-I-C-S-O-N, at stlukesmuseum.org. We would love to hear from you. And today we're telling another story from the Newport Parish that I'm entitling The Tumultuous Life and Times of Joseph Bridger. Bridger was the wealthy patron of this old brick church. And as I am recording this episode, I'm sitting up in the balcony of the old brick church, overlooking the reinterred remains of Colonel Joseph Bridger. And on his ledger stone, his epitaph reads in part, does nature silent mourn and can dumb stone make his true worth to future ages known? It's kind of a lament that Bridger will be lost to history. And for all intents and purposes, beyond the Bridger Family Association and those of us who study the history of the Newport Parish here at St. Luke's, Bridger has certainly not become a household name. But it's really his times that are important for you, the listener, to understand, especially the last 10 years of Bridger's life from 1676 to 1686. Bridger was born about 1629 at Woodman Coat Manor, Dursley in Gloucester, England, the son of Samuel Bridger and Mary Purchase Bridger. Joseph is believed to have fought at the Battle of Worcester by family lore, the last battle of the English Civil Wars for the Royalist side. If this, in fact, was the case, then Bridger would have been compelled to leave England as a prisoner of war. He probably went to Bermuda and then made his way up to Virginia. Not an exceedingly wealthy man. He was the son of Samuel Bridger, who was an auditor, a financial person for the Gloucester Cathedral in England, and his grandfather was a minister, a rector of the Slimbridge Parish. But Bridger in Virginia would marry Hester Pitt, the daughter of Colonel Robert Pitt. Pitt owned a fleet of ships and Bridger would come into possession of some of these ships and entered into a very lucrative trading business, along with having more than 16,000 acres of land in Isle of Wight and Surrey counties, as well as some property up in Maryland. He was also a commissioner to help settle disputes between the two colonies of Maryland and Virginia over some border issues. Because of his military background, having fought for His Majesty King Charles I, he became head of the Isle of Wight County Militia and later would command troops from several counties in defense of the Indians, as the title suggested. 
He would serve as one of the loyal lieutenants of Governor Sir William Barclay and would make his bones fighting against the rebels in Bacon's Rebellion. Bacon's Rebellion is a crucially important event in the life and times, not only of Virginia, but for our United States of America that would arise some hundred years later. Bacon's Rebellion was the kind of perfect storm that occurred in 1676. After a, another costly Anglo-Dutch war, the Virginia colonists were being heavily taxed to pay for war debts and to build forts that defended the wealthy elites, but not so much the average farmer. Tobacco prices had been declining from massive overproduction, and there were tensions between the ruling class of Jamestown and those who wanted more power in their own localities. Governor Barkley by this time was aging, nearly deaf, and often ill-tempered, and not very inclined to negotiate with those who would challenge his policies, especially in regard to his lucrative trading business with many of the indigenous tribes. In steps Nathaniel Bacon, one of the most violent men in the most violent of centuries, who would likely have been executed back in England had he not fled to Virginia. Bacon played upon the frustrations of the middling farmers and the poor and enslaved laborers and the desire to expand the colony beyond the agreed upon borders with the indigenous populations. Some 600 rebels and perhaps more began to take matters into their own hands and would, after some skirmishes with indigenous tribes, turn their attentions to the capital of Jamestown. They burned it to the ground on September the 19th, 1676. Bridger was named by Bacon as one of the enemies of the people. And Governor Barkley would flee to Accomac on the Eastern shore and Bridger to his land holdings in Maryland because he too was a marked man. But Bridger would go on to fight on behalf of the governor. Bacon would eventually die of the bloody flux on October the 26th, 1676, now known to us as dysentery. And while the rebellion would rage on for several months, it went into chaos and poor leadership. And eventually, the last rebels were captured and the rebellion totally suppressed by Christmas Day of that same year of 1676. The following year, 1677, Governor Sir William Barclay would conduct a trial of 23 of the rebels. They will be tried for treason and would be executed death by hanging. But the British sent commissioners to conduct an inquiry as to how this Virginia Civil War had started and particularly how it ended. Barclay was compelled to return to England and died shortly thereafter. But Bridger's fortunes would trend in a better direction. He informed the commissioners that rebellion could resurface at any moment. How would they stave off future notions of rebellion? St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum shares stories from the early American religious experience and the movement towards religious freedom. St. Luke's is a 501c3 nonprofit which relies heavily on public charitable contributions. In order to continue quality programming, like the History from the Old Brick Church podcast, your support is crucially important. Visit us at stlukesmuseum.org slash donate 
for more information about St. Luke's and to make a donation. Thank you for your support. They used propaganda. The colony had already introduced legislation that limited the ability of both enslaved and indentured servants from moving out of their station. For example, a 1667 law enacted by the House of Burgesses ordered that baptism would not change your status as an enslaved person. After the rebellion, a host of slave codes would emanate out of Jamestown and later Williamsburg and would create the legal category of white. To be white was to be Christian. To be white was to be free. And therefore, to be non-white was to be non-Christian and unfree. Bacon's Rebellion was a lightning bolt for the Virginia elite to take even greater measures to ensure their own power and that the supply of cheap labor would maximize their profits. Bridger was placed in charge of nine county militias in defense of the Indians, though he would never be called into service for any such circumstance. But he was called into action in 1682 by another and lesser known act of rebellion that is sometimes called the Beverly Rebellion or the Tobacco Cutters Rebellion. In May of 1682, another tobacco crisis was taking place. Again, overproduction, poor quality tobacco had driven the price downward. And many called for a policy of cessation or not planting tobacco in order to raise the price again. However, the House of Burgesses feared what would happen to their monopoly on the tobacco trade if they simply stopped planting for a time sufficient enough to raise the price. Fearful that the French or other colonies would jump into the void, the House failed to act. One member of the House, in fact, a clerk of the House of Burgesses, Major Robert Beverly, still favored the plan of cessation. It is said by some that Joseph Bridger also favored this idea. But it was Beverly who took matters into his own hands. Inciting the farmers of Gloucester and neighboring New Kent counties to destroy their own tobacco supply and then to go and raid and cut the tobacco of their neighbors, half of the tobacco supply in Gloucester alone were destroyed during the riots. Bridger and other militia commanders were sent in to restore order, and six of the rioters were hanged. Robert Beverly was arrested and imprisoned on a ship on the Rappahannock River and was ordered by the English Privy Council to be stripped of all of his positions. But somehow, Beverly managed not only to get out of his imprisonment, but also to be re-elected to the House of Burgesses and re-elected to his clerkship. And after his release, he would run afoul of the Privy Council yet again. He was being investigated for another supposed violation as House clerk, but died before he could be punished in 1687. Bridger had died the previous year of the dry gripes, or lead poisoning, from his over 400 pounds of pewter listed in his inventory in his will. But before his death, he made a lasting impact on the colony. He was financially the supporter of the building of a brick church in the lower parish 
later the Newport Parish of Isle of Wight County. An acre of land had been purchased from a Michael Fulgham, and there was said to be in the deed a glebe house or a church house on the grounds, a place where the minister would live. And Bridger may never have worshipped in the completed building, which our physical evidence suggests was completed somewhere around 1685 or 86, right around the time of this debilitating ailment uh, that Bridger suffered from. And at the same time of the building of the old brick church, England was going through their own rebellion. It was called the Monmouth Rebellion, where the illegitimate son of Charles II, James Scott, the Duke of Monmouth, endeavored to supplant his uncle, King James II, an openly Roman Catholic monarch. The rebellion failed, and James Scott met a gruesome end as it took the dull blade of the executioner's axe five blows to finally sever his head from his body. James II would later be deposed in the bloodless, glorious revolution of 1688 that brought the Dutchman William of Orange and his English wife Mary to the throne of England. The second half of the 17th century was noted for a great deal of violence and disruption to the Virginia colony. Bridger's life spanned the time of the English Civil Wars in his birthplace, as well as civil wars in his newfound home in Virginia. His legacy is a building that still stands as a reminder of that bloody time period and of the freedoms that came a century later and more as the birth of the United States would grant protections, especially freedom of religion to all of our citizens. Those freedoms are endangered whenever we fail to remember our history. We hope these stories from the Newport Parish will inspire you to learn more and to use that knowledge as you exercise your civic responsibilities. As we say here at St. Luke's all the time, you don't know who you are unless you know who you were. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and will review and subscribe to History from the Old Brick Church podcast as we come up on our 3,000th download. We're so thankful to all of you who have been our loyal listeners. I'm also available for presentations about the early American religious experience to your group, either in person, if you're in the Hampton Roads area, or via Zoom, wherever you may reside. Again, you can contact me at jerickson at stlukesmuseum.org. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us again for another edition of History from the Old Brick Church. Thank you so much. To learn more about St. Luke's Historic Church and Museum, please visit stlukesmuseum.org.